0: Hello and welcome to episode 57 of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini, and this is Parent Stories number two. This is a series of interviews that are going to focus on parents who have special needs kids that are older, teenagers, and adult children. I believe it's good to talk to parents who have pretty much been through it all already so that we can learn from their experiences. My guest in this episode is Sandy Carlson. She and her husband Steve have three boys, the oldest of which is Harrison, and he has autism. Harrison is now in his 20s and has a full-time job, but as you'll hear from Sandy, they didn't really know anything about what to expect for his future. We started off by talking about when Harrison was first diagnosed with autism, which was around the age of two and a half years old. I asked Sandy what it was like for her when she began to realize that Harrison was autistic.
1: Well, I thought he had trouble focusing on things and or an attention problem. I think I used to say um, to people, um, he's not very good at, um, at, like, focusing on one thing. Um, he doesn't seem to be listening. Uh, he wasn't, I knew he wasn't looking me in the eye all the time when I would talk to him. And I kind of thought it was just a an attention thing. And I said to somebody um, one time, actually, I at his pediatrician's office, there happened to be um, somebody else there, like a substitute. And when he came in to talk to Harrison, um, Harrison wasn't answering. And I said, oh, he has a hard time um, paying attention or, um, you know, um, listening, I thought. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, that um," doesn't—and I could see the look on his face, you know, that he was thinking— and he said, hmm, um, have you had his hearing tested? And I said, oh, you know, no, I haven't. And I don't know if he said anything about autism. I know he must have because it, it kind of, you know, the the idea, you know, right. kind of got into my head there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But he set up an appointment with um, a hearing specialist and he passed everything, you know, fine. Right. Um, and still, nobody said autism, um, and I really wasn't, I had that wasn't on the radar at all until um, they said, uh, so it wasn't the hearing specialist. I think um, somebody said, well, you need to contact your local school district and tell them that, you know, he needs to be seen, there, there's some kind of, um, you know, um, problem that needs to be addressed, maybe a learning problem. Um, and we they got us in right away, and they were just going to do a, um, you know, they were going to watch him, you know, observe him playing. And I was in another room, <clears throat> and I'm not sure how long it was, maybe a half hour. Um, and it was actually the special ed, I, I think it was the director it was somebody really high up mm-hmm. came over and just real matter of fact why I said oh you know what he's got autism hmm. and I just sat there and I go <laughs> I think I was kind of speechless and I did know what it was only limitless like on a limited basis I had done a research paper in high school um, and I left and I, I got to the car and I started crying and I went to pick him up. He was at the sitters, and she's an older woman and um, had lived next to us forever, and she babysat him. And I I just blurted out, you know, they think he has autism. And she's, you know, oh, my gosh. And I had no idea what to do. So it was pretty shocking um, hearing that. Right. Um, And, again, that wasn't a diagnosis yet. It was just somebody saying that who, you know, pretty pretty, you know, just like off the cuff and kind of, there you go.
0: Right. I think I think sometimes that uh, a lot of people don't take into consideration how devastating something like that can be, and that's when a little encouragement and perhaps some information, you know, about what could lie ahead might be helpful.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they didn't really <clears throat> offer... It, there was no direction what to do next, except I did say okay, you know, now what do I do with him? And he said, well, he needs to be tested, um, to confirm the diagnosis. And we, we help you do that. And this was like in April of, um, you know, the school year. Mm. And he said, we, we send you someplace and we help you do that, but school's almost done. So we'll do that in the fall when we, um, school starts again. And and again, I was thinking and I know I said to him I go, well, what do we do in between then <laughs> because we didn't have a diagnosis he had just said, I think he has autism, and I was thinking, well what do I do from April to September just like kind of wait on that and what what are what do we do um there was an he had nothing to offer except to say there's nothing we can do until it's diagnosed and we'll do that in the fall
0: so in the so in the meantime you sit there for about four or five months with nothing
1: oh I well I knew I couldn't do that so I went home um, and luckily my sister is a special ed teacher hmm. and she knew somebody down in Ann Arbor who was involved in special ed you know some, you know, somebody who, who had some clout and, um, called her and she said right away, she would say, no, that's not right. And within, you know, a day, I think it was thresholds mm-hmm. called me from Grand Rapids. And then it went quickly. They like came out to the house. They observed them. They said, um, yeah, it looks like, you know, he has autism. We're going to get him in for testing. And all of it happened like in a week. Yeah. He's diagnosed and they got everything moving. They got him enrolled in a summer program.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um until school started again and just kind of went over the whole school, you know, system and, and did everything. It was in weeks. It was insane how fast it was.
0: That's uh yeah, it's 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 surprising sometimes, and unfortunately I think this occasionally still occurs, although I can't specify you know, particulars on this, but it seems like there are some school districts out there that just uh, don't want to deal with anything until they have to. Is that the case? Is that the idea that you got from that or
1: that? I wasn't really sure why they were doing that. Um, I don't think I, once we, he did get diagnosed and we went back in the fall, there were no other um, children with autism there were he went into a pre-primary impaired classroom and that's kind of you know young children before they would be in preschool or um even kindergarten and i think it's they don't really have a solid diagnosis for anything mm-hmm. um so he was in with the mix of kids and, and there were maybe only five in the class and there was one other um boy his age and they thought, I remember talking with the teacher, and she thought maybe he had autism, hmm. but he hadn't been diagnosed. Um, and that was it. Um, and we were kind of calling around and trying to find out who knew anything about it. Um, the the doctor who diagnosed him was only one of two, like in Grand Rapids, that um, were capable of, of giving the diagnosis. Hmm. Um, and then beyond that, there there weren't people to go talk to or get information from until um, um, we were. I think it might have been Threshold said Grand Rapids Public has a program, um, and they they have uh, autism or students with autism, and they were ranging from kindergarten and up. But it sounded again like there were two teachers that had a history of um, of educating and um, and helping students uh, with autism. And the man that we ended up going to, the teacher, he had, um, at that point, like 15 years experience with, it, I thought was quite shocking. I didn't know anybody, anybody did, but um, it was Grand Rapids Public. And they said, anywhere, any school system, you're going to um, go to around this area, um, that is where the student will be sent. That's, it was a CA Frost, I think. And then, um, uh, Northern, I can't think of, uh, the name of it. There was one other school in, in the district that he could attend. Um, and they both had one teacher there.
0: Hmm. So even throughout all the outlying school districts, they, at that time, and this was what, about 20 years ago or so? Yes. So at that time, they just sent all the kids with any kind of special needs like that to uh, as a school that was on its own that dealt with those kids.
1: Yeah, it was so-called, if you wanted to say, who has a program um, specifically for students um, with autism. Hmm. Otherwise, you could stay in your school district, but there wasn't really anything tailored Towards these kids because there there weren't enough numbers. Right. And they did eventually, um, the school district we were in. By the time he was kindergarten age, so is that you know five years old maybe? um, They had enough children that had um, you know been coming into the school that they needed a room for students with autism. Right. So that yeah that came that came about eventually and so they did have some kind of program they were developing but it was nothing compared to what Grand Rapids had going
0: right Now at the time of the diagnosis what kind of a, a prognosis for Harrison's future did the doctors give you
1: they, they really didn't um, give a, a lot of um, insight as to what to expect they They did push, you know, the early intervention. They did. They all kept saying, you know, that's really good that you know so soon. Um, And we did. We enrolled him in everything. Uh, I I think the again, the place we went was called Thresholds, and they kind of were a focus point. and, And they sent us in, you know, to different programs. And once you are in a school district. They send you places, too. Um, even you know back then, there just weren't a lot of places mm-hmm. to go to. And the prognosis was really, uh, I, I think, the the main thing I remember um, the doctor saying is if he's going to talk, um, the sooner we can get him to talk, the better. Um, his chances are of, of growing, I guess, and being a... Um, you know, maybe a child with um, special needs, but being, um, you know, verbal.
0: Right. How hard was it for him to adjust about with the idea of going to school and all that and getting the help that he was getting?
1: He, you know, he was fine. He was happy. (laughs) He is a a preacher of habit. So the getting ready for school and getting there, um, there was no, you know, attachment to me (laughs) where... When I would leave, he would cry. His, you know, he was, he was happy to go. He liked it there. He, the first couple of years, um, they had, a, a kind of like a vest, a weighted vest that he would wear. And it sounds awful, but like it would attach to his chair, because he would get up all the time and wander away. And, hmm. um, and he had his own aide that sat with him, but. It wasn't that he wanted to leave. It was just, you know, he wanted to um, wander around. But he has never, um, never fought going to school or any of the dozens of, you know, therapies we'd go to. It's he, he was fine with that.
0: That's good, yeah. Now, um, IEP meetings—you know, individual education plans—which is what uh, they primarily use for special needs kids—what was that process like back then? Was uh, was the district fairly straightforward with it, or did they uh, have challenges as far as getting services?
1: It was very confusing, um, and luckily, the first the pre-primary impaired teacher he had knew that it would be. So when we were leaving to move Mm. from one school district to another and we were doing probably our first IEP, she sat in on it and um, said to me, I'm going to tell them he needs everything. He needs um, occupational therapy, speech. And she said he might not, but we're going to put it in there so that he can get it if he needs it. And we kind of learned that you know, in the IEPs to, to get things in writing that we thought he needed, even if they said, no, I don't think he needs, you know, speech therapy right now, um, or anything, but it was, they were very confusing at first. And, um, my sister being a special ed teacher had written a lot of IEPs. Um, and so at first was attending the meetings with us and, and made me feel a lot better, um, <clears throat> because you're scared, you know, it's scary to be in there. It's, you know, you're, you're sad <laughs> that you're in there. Um, right. it, but it was, uh, they were tough and there were up, up through high school, um, ones where, you know, they would get very heated. Um, and it was always, a uh, it seemed like there were always struggles in, in one way or another. Um, I felt like we were always asking for more, uh, the, and they thought, you know, maybe we didn't need, or he didn't need.
0: That's interesting too. And, you know, one of the, uh, problems that has, uh, continued, uh, like you say, not only is it intimidating, but, uh, there's a lot of jargon and uh, educated education-based terminology that they don't really explain to you what any of it means. You're just expected to know it.
1: You're right. They don't. Uh, they don't explain it. Um, and it's kind of crazy listening to them talk amongst each other. So there'll be the special ed teacher, um, maybe the principal will be in there, regular ed teachers. There, you know, there can be you know, we would have maybe, you know, five or six um, people other than, you know, the two of us as parents in the room. And at some point, you would notice that they were talking amongst themselves, not really talking to us. They were kind of deciding, well, this is what we think, you know, should be done. And like you said, they were talking um, with terms that we didn't know, uh, I knew some of them from um, you know, through my sister, and I had taken um, I went to school to be a teacher, so i I knew some of it, but Steve didn't. And I think it was it was pretty annoying that they would talk to us as if we knew exactly, you know what they were saying. It kind of made you feel, you know, kind of stupid. To have them talking amongst themselves and you're sitting on the side, like I said, you're kind of depressed and sad that you have to be there and it's scary. And then to think you're not really sure what they're saying and, um, you know, are you going to look dumb if you ask?
0: (laughs) Right. Right. And that's uh, I think that's a universal thing that's still going on, too, because I hear that from parents today who are faced with the same situation that the school districts. It seems like, you know, I mean, I don't know what the motivation is. Sometimes it's just a lack of awareness on uh, what the parents going through. But sometimes it seems as though they're deliberately trying to keep you uh, in the dark.
1: Yeah, I I think it's probably you know lack of awareness uh and I say that because when I would complain and my sister I would you know talk to her about it there were a lot of times I would say things to her and and she would you know say oh my gosh I never thought of it that way um from the point my point as a parent and then her being a special ed teacher doing um IEPs you know and kind of seen it from my point of view, like, you know, it's um, it's confusing. It's not as straightforward as it is to her.
0: Yeah. And back then, of course, uh, today we have the benefit of a number of resources online where you can look this stuff up. But back then there still really wasn't a whole lot available to help the parents.
1: There wasn't, I couldn't find really anything. Um, the first time I asked so when he was maybe three years old and I wanted to find a book about it and I am not kidding there were like two books available Hmm. um and I I just couldn't believe it uh and I asked his teacher and she said that's right and I have one of them and uh she gave it to me and it was it it wasn't really it was like kind of felt like it was a manual (laughs) and uh you know what to do but so most of the information we got um, was from different agencies that were treating um, special needs children um, on a whole, not children with autism. And he actually, I went, there was so little information. um, A friend contacted me at one point and said, I just read a story in the Grand Rapids press about a boy with autism. He's Um, graduating high school right now. And they, they did a piece on him. So I immediately got the paper and read the story. And I contacted his mother Hmm. and said, can I meet with you? And can you tell me um, more about what this is and what to expect? And, and thank God, she was so nice. And we met um, at some cafe and her son um, was pretty impaired. And he had a you know, so-called, like, buddy assigned to him in school to kind of um, guide him through his classes and just be what Harrison would call an assistant. (laughs) And he came to the meeting, too, um, with her son. He he connected with Harrison. It was so nice. It was the first thing that kind of gave me hope. I saw, okay, well, here's this kid. He's, you know, clearly had... um, there are a lot less, you know, resources and he's doing good and he's, um, happy. And, um, again, she said there weren't a lot of resources, um, you know, to, to find when he was diagnosed. And so she was going to different, uh, I I guess trying different therapy, you know, therapists really, um, any, again, like me, any kind of help she could get, but, that was the only person I knew was um, that boy and his mom, and and she sent us towards another resource uh, to go to use. So that that was nice. And I talked with their son, and he was living in um, a group home and and doing pretty good. So that was it. But th- that was uh, that. I really didn't have any other um, information to go by. <laughs>
0: Jeez. Yeah. So a lot has changed at least, but there's still some uh, things that uh, could be better as far as getting information out there.
1: Right. It's, it's really amazing how much information there is now. I, I really can't believe it. I know it's because, um, you know, there's so many uh, more kids diagnosed now that there's the information, but it's still, it's nice. It's really, um, and I it makes me feel good to see the amount of what teachers know, um, other students, um, you know, the public, like how, how they understand it. It's really it makes me feel good.
0: Yeah. Now, you mentioned thresholds and a couple other sources. So you were able to also get him help outside the school district?
1: Yeah, that was where we got the most help. And right. I don't know if it would be like that today, um, but it was then it was. Uh, it was outside. Um and I know as he got older, more and more resources became available. Um we eventually got him into um like a psych or a psychologist who specialized in autism and that wasn't there, you know, ten years ago. Hmm. And here she was and uh great. She she's been awesome and she came to um, our IEPs with us. Um we also Kept in touch with uh, parent advocates uh, from our school district, and sometimes had them come to some of the IEPs. Anybody that we thought would be helpful. Um, but yeah, there were. As he got older, it progressed. The the amount of um, information we could receive and the type of uh, therapies, everything.
0: That's great. It's it's nice to know that there are so many people who are willing to come forward and help, too, and you know take time out of their own schedules to do that.
1: It, yeah, that that's pretty amazing. You know, to have um, a psychologist come to an IEP and you think you're not being charged for it, and she's going in and she's advocating for him and saying maybe what we don't dare say or uh, think we can say, like, no, he needs to you know, have an aide all the time or whatever, you know, we thought was appropriate. She was saying it and it had a little more uh, clout, I felt
0: like. Yeah, definitely. You know, and then there's always fear of retribution, even though probably there isn't any, but you still have that in the back of your mind, you know, OK, what is anything going to happen here?
1: Yeah, I, I, I was afraid of that, you know, up until he graduated. Unfortunately, you're, you're kind of always wondering um, what's going on outside that you don't see yeah
0: right now Harrison is an adult now he has a job and can you tell us what it took to get him to this point and the resource and the training you had to go through the Michigan rehabilitative services and the amount of negotiating you needed to get all this to happen
1: uh when he was a senior and I think they actually might begin the process when you're a junior Mm -hmm. different resources or, or different organizations like MRS came in and would talk with the students that were graduating. And um, we didn't really know much about that until I think maybe the um, the social worker at school said, we have somebody coming in, he's um, going to give a presentation to the students, and you might, you know, want to sit in on this. And it, it was really nice. There was a lot of information Um boy there there are colleges you can go to there or the one I guess I know of it they're not far away and it's special needs students it's there's some really cool stuff um, and we decided we went with MRS and uh, did some you know went in paperwork we had a, a caseworker. Um, an initial case worker and we met with him and he kind of talked with Harrison about what kind of work he would like to do. And and then after that, it's a matter of uh, like training. Um, They have different organizations they work with. So uh, the initial part Harrison had to do was learn how to um, be an employee how to get to someplace on time and, um, do your job and punch in. And I, he might've done that for a few months. Um, and it was, it was so much fun. He, um, they had him at the library out on campus for Grand Valley Mm -hmm. and, um, and they're used to these kids coming in and they were so nice. I, I just loved it there. And he, he was very happy with the job. Um, they taught him uh, MRS. Then gave him a caseworker that would stick with him through this training, and he taught Harrison how to use the city bus to get out to Grand Valley, how to, um, you know, navigate his way on campus, all of those things that, like I would think, we would have had to have done.
2: Mm.
1: And it was such a relief that okay, there's a place that that does these things that teaches, you know, your child how to get a job. And um I think he had in high school um gone to Skills Center. I can't remember what they call that now, but there um they helped him put a resume together and do practice interviews for jobs. Mm. So that in high school was a great um, resource.
0: Right now, Harrison uh, was able to communicate. Uh, probably, he was not. Uh, he had a little tr- difficulty communicating when he was younger, but they worked with him on uh, his speech and all that, so he, he is able to communicate fairly well.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, he just he's just a little off the way the way he talks like in a funny way um Mm. but yeah perfect um communication i mean there doesn't have any problems um so that is helpful because he's asked for um help many times on the bus if he would miss a bus stop uh you know before he would start to have a meltdown he knew he could ask for help
0: so learning how to advocate for himself is one of the big things that helped Obviously.
1: Definitely, yeah, telling him he could ask people. And he does still to this day. Um, if his phone runs out of minutes, um, I get a phone call and he's using somebody else's and on the bus who's sitting next to him.
0: <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's great. Now, the Michigan Rehabilitative Services, is that a state organization or is that uh, a private concern?
1: I think it's, I believe it's a state organization. I, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Mm-hmm. I'm Right now we're taking a family friend to work with them and in the time that's passed, so maybe five years that Harrison was there up until now, it's already kind of changed um, the system, the way they operate. They had some problems we felt when we were using them. Um, I don't know if they typically work with it sounds like they work with people, um, you know, older um, older kids, like Harrison was, I guess, 21 um, up to, you know, through adulthood. Um, and it's not just special needs. It's, It seemed like adults, maybe, you know, a little bit special needs, but not a diagnosis like, okay, this person has autism or no diagnosis really. Um, just maybe have a tough time. Getting a job, maybe through you know communication skills, but we, I thought it had to do with um, special needs, but it didn't. So a problem we ran into um, was him having um, difficulties at a job that they had assigned him to. Um, and his supervisors at the job would call um, and say, okay, well, we're having this problem. We don't know what to do. And I couldn't understand it uh, because I thought, well, he's behaving like a person with autism would behave. So you, you kind of have to address that problem.
0: Well, yeah, you would think that uh you know if they know they're hiring kids who have autism that they should have received some kind of uh, instruction on how kids with autism are going to work.
1: That's what I thought, so it it I think it's pretty important to maybe find out where they're going i I would have spoken more with his supervisors before he started um, and it, it would have avoided a lot of headache,
0: yeah um now, going back to what you had said earlier, you are working with another family right now who has a child with similar uh, issues as Harrison. Uh, can you give us an idea of the difficulties that some parents have in negotiating with these services? Because I understand that the parents of this child also have some issues.
1: They do. They The whole family, um, the parents are are kind of special needs. Um, they, they are not very good at communicating. They have uh, issues with transportation. They have financial issues, communication issues. So I think it's hard for them. Well, I know it's, it's hard for her, the, the young lady um, that I'm working with. It's hard for her to get to appointments. Um, and it's hard for her to understand what they're saying at these appointments mm. and there's always follow-up and, you know, you have to go back um, and it's kind of confusing. And I think it's confusing for me. And so I don't know how anybody with um, obstacles navigates the process of, of getting help. Um, one problem that she has run into is she, she, should have been getting um, uh, disability for a long time. She's at the same level, um, function level, as Harrison. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she told me she was denied. And she couldn't really tell me why. And I asked, you know, can you show me the paperwork? And she asked her mother, who said she didn't know where the paperwork was. It's those kinds of things. Um, Right. And she did I found a place that uh, would go and advocate for her, but they needed to be contacted? I think within sixty days of of her claim being denied, and it it was six months past it. Hmm. So it was all, you know, going to have to begin again. Um, and I said, "Well, I'll help you fill the paperwork out again," but immediately ran into a problem that she had no records. Um, to submit. And her mom didn't know where they were from the last time. Um, and it, it kind of got overwhelming. I thought, how do, I can't help her this, you know, this is like a full-time job for a social worker. Right. <laughs> um, and they had no social worker involved with their family. Um, they were getting food stamps, but they needed so much more than what they were getting
0: do you think that this is a matter of people just not understanding or budget cuts going on to programs where they don't have any community reach, outreach programs, or is it just people falling through the cracks for various reasons that no one's paying attention to and no one's even looking around?
1: I, my first thought was that people weren't paying attention, and so many people were falling through the cracks and nobody was noticing. I couldn't imagine how anybody could interact with this family and not think, oh, they need help. And I know they had a social worker at at some point, I don't know how long ago, work with them and, and kind of determine that they didn't need any help. Um, it, and that's when I wonder about budgeting, Um they don't have people going out into the community and finding families like this, who don't know, who don't know that they can ask for help or who to call.
0: Right, right. Well, you know, um, when you're determined to cut budgets and cut back uh, state services, no matter what the consequences, and. When you're saying, well, people don't need this, uh, well, you, they don't need what you're not telling them <laughs> that is available. <laughs> you know, they can't find what uh, no one's telling them to look for.
1: Exactly. I And I think that's a problem, um, obviously, in schools. Uh, when we first started and um, Harrison had a teacher that worked with just kids with autism and It was so nice. They did Friday outings. They had this great schedule. And over the years, we just watched it shrink and shrink and shrink. And eventually, where he had had a teacher he would be with all day to a, I think they called her um, like a contact or a, um, I I can't remember what they called her, but she was meant to be um, a resource not really a teacher, but um, a resource that the other teachers could go to. Um, it, it, he didn't have a classroom, <clears throat> you know. Or just there wasn't a you know quote unquote special ed classroom. Um, she was like called a consultant or or something by that nature. It you know over the years, and it still was happening in high school. It ended up being we had a lot of arguments about the school saying. He doesn't need this and here's why. And we knew we were, you know, we say, that's not right. You're saying that because you don't have the money for it. And we understand the money problems that you're not in charge, you know, of of funding things. But at least be truthful. Right. Don't tell us that he doesn't need, you know, some program we're asking for. Um, tell us that he needs it, but there's not. Funding, so, so then we can do something about it.
0: Right, right. Well, that's, you know, and I hear that from a lot of parents that they know that the problem is there's no money for this type of thing. But when the school refuses to tell them that, and I don't know, maybe the school is under some kind of a ultimatum or some kind of a regulation from the state that they're not allowed to discuss budgets. But uh, I think uh, more needs to be done as far as parent awareness of what's available. And when it's not available, it was cut because of budget reasons. Then we need to be able to go back to uh, the lawmakers and say, hey, you know, fix this.
1: (laughs) Right. It's with the so many kids being diagnosed, you know, specifically with autism now, they should be flooding, um, you know, money into to special ed, you know, programs um, for them,
2: mm.
1: you know, for all programs. But uh, I don't know if that's happening or if they're, you know, again, going into these classrooms where they have, you know, a special ed consultant um, in charge of, you know, 15 IEPs instead of, you know, one teacher doing You know, a couple, right? But it's it will always be money.
0: Unfortunately, yeah. And you know, it's it's weird because it's not just autism. Now we're seeing more and more kids getting diagnosed with a, a variety of different kinds of learning disorders. And of course, we hear, well, you know, what's wrong with our? You know, everyone's looking for a cause, but no one's dealing with. What are we going to do in the meantime to help these kids with their problems? Instead, everyone wants to point fingers and blame and yell about, you know, well, this caused that and this caused that. And meanwhile, the kids are still kind of suffering.
1: It, yeah, exactly. It, it really, um, it's funny because I feel like a lot of people um, over the years have asked me, why do you think um, he has it? And, and I'm to the point, and I'm, you know, I really don't know why. But that that did stop mattering a long time ago. Um, It was just a focus on, well, what do I do right now? Um, Because every day that goes by, you really need to be using that um, for his benefit, you know, education or programs. um, And you're right, it really doesn't, um, finding out why wasn't, I guess at first, you know, you wanna know why. like, why, oh, why did this happen to my child? Uh, it, but afterward it, it did graduate to uh, it, it really you know it doesn't really it does matter why, but not as much as what what can we do right now?
0: Well, you know, and people lose sight of the fact that it's not just you know, okay, well, these kids are being born with autism or these kids are being born with all these special needs, you know, they're going to have 60, 70, 80 years of living with this ahead of them, mm hmm What's going to happen? Do we want to um, just say, "Well, nothing we can do throw up our hands and then, okay, then what?" Or do we want to say, "Let's invest some money into helping them get the kind of uh, education, help, support, and training that they need so that they can be self-sufficient and uh, you know, be able to take care of themselves?
1: Yeah, you want them as adults to be as um independent as they can be um, and, and it is it does help uh, you know as they get older um, financially you know to to rely on other people um, or have to you know rely on other people less and less you know like Harrison not having to use a service now to get him to and from work he's been taught how to do that So that's done. In investing money when they're young, it really does pay off. And obviously, parents of children of special needs support funding and increasing funding. Um, And it seems like generally the public does, too. So it's always kind of hard for me to imagine why the school systems will fight it so much and maybe it's what you said maybe it's there's some sort of um agreement (laughs) or understanding between um education and um yeah you know state and federal funding and you know it kind of gets all um foggy you hope nothing shady is going on but um you know that they've got your child's best interest um at heart
0: right well, in the long run, it's going to save money if the kids are able to support themselves and contribute to society. It's it's cheaper than any other option. Right. Well, and then I guess a good time to finally, uh, you know, kind of summarize here. What would you say to a parent of a child with autism or other special needs kids who they just got their diagnosis? Their kids are, you know, uh, toddlers, newborns. What would you say to them? They're uncertain about what to do next to help their kids. Any kind of advice that uh, you could offer, speaking now with a son now who is out on his own, independent, and able to take care of himself.
1: I I think initially it's a really good idea to, um, if, you know, to talk to your school district and see, you know, where they send you. You know, we didn't really have that luxury of that working you know, out for us, but I would think today that school districts or um, would have so many resources to direct you to. I also think um, family doctors know more about autism um, and about, you know, in general, learning disabilities, uh, anything, and they can direct you too, otherwise, you know, I, we just went with anything, um, anything recommended to us, we would try. And I, I've heard uh, when Harrison was growing up, I've had friends um, whose kids were being diagnosed with, you know, various um, learning difficulties or um, one who has autism. And people don't want their kids labeled. And I understand that completely. It, it sounds horrible having him labeled. But the benefit of it was we had this whole range of opportunity open up for him um, to get assistance that he was now eligible for. I would say, you know, take advantage of every single one that sounds that anyone recommends um, you to. If you have a... Uh, psychiatrist uh that you see they would recommend different agencies to us um I, there's so many now i can't even <laughs> i can't even name one place but that was what we did is we took advantage of anything that was offered um we we would try um in-home therapy uh I, you know they have swimming therapy now all of those um I think that's the big the big um, you know picture changer is just to um, as soon as you think there's you know maybe something different or something odd um, going on developmentally to to jump on it right away.
0: My thanks to Sandy Carlson for sharing her story of her experiences and her journey with her son, Harrison. A great way for you to stay in touch with me and communicate your thoughts on these episodes is on our Facebook page. In fact, we really do want to hear your comments. Use the Facebook button on our website, specialparentsconfidential.com, or just search Special Parents Confidential on Facebook. It's also a great way to share our podcast with everyone you know. That's it for this episode of Special Parents Confidential. I'm John Pellegrini. Thanks for listening.